Are you losing faith in the world around you? Do you find yourself constantly asking why something is the way that it is? Do you wonder about God? Maybe you're disillusioned with church, but you still feel a call. Or maybe you realize that there has to be something more for you in this life. Pull up a chair and take a seat, because you've arrived at the right place. The Human Conservation Podcast. With host Reverend Corby Willette. Restoring faith in humanity by exploring the paths of culture, history, nature, science, and spirituality. Promoting human conservation through human conversation. Welcome back to the Human Conservation Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Corby Willette. I hope everyone has had a blessed week this past week. Uh, we are underway with our complete Bible discussion. We got started with the creation story, and last week we did Adam and Eve. This week we're going to be talking a little bit about Cain and Abel. But before we get started, I wanted to to start off the program with a a thought, a daily thought. I think that we're going to do that each week to kind of stay in touch with what's going on in the world around us so then we can apply what we're reading about and what we're talking about in the Bible to life out here in the real world. So what I kind of wanted to share this morning is uh, I am very big on mental health and I do not like it when the people around me are hurting for whatever reason that might be. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe they're battling addiction. Maybe they feel neglected. I don't like it when people are in pain. I have been in some dark, dark places in my day, and suicide was never an option for me. So if somebody is in that much despair that they feel like that is the only way out, that is incredibly sad to me, and I assure you that that's incredibly sad to God. So how do we help those people, especially if we ourselves have only limited means, it's simple. Do not be a spectator. Do not stand on the sidelines and do nothing. Even if you're the one that's hurting, you need to get out there. The best medicine to combat, and this is a scientific fact, to combat depression is to get out there and do something for somebody else. Because that releases serotonin, which makes you feel better. So do not be a spectator. Being a Christian is not a spectator sport. So that's pretty much my thought of the day. Uh, so let's get started with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this platform. I thank you for the time. And I ask that it be your words that come out over the internet, Father. I ask you to, to be with me. Let, let my words be your words. May we reach somebody this week. I ask you to bring people in that need to receive our message, and I ask you to open, open people up to discussion, especially discussion about those hard subjects that seem to be dividing us all. So I ask this in the precious name of your son, amen. Now let's get started. So last week we ended... Uh, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 4, with the very profound verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 4, 
Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Uh, and we hammered home the point that Adam made love to Eve. Obviously, we know that you have a baby from having sex. But the next statement was really what caught me. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Meaning without God's help, life does not take root. So so Eve brings forth Cain, who biblically is the first person that is birthed on earth. He's the first person that was born on the planet, if you're taking it word for word. Now, there's evidence coming up that suggests that this is still just riddled with symbolism because there are so many good lessons to learn here. But where did Cain's wife come from? Which we're going to read about in a second here. So picking it up on verse uh, verse 2, Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. You must rule over it. So when you read it quickly, it kind of leaves you with that feeling like, God, what, what, why are you upset with Cain? Like the guy brought forth a, an offering, uh, but he loved Abel's. Well, it does say this. It does say that Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of his firstborn flock. So it does stress that Abel's sacrifice, the fat portions were the the best cuts, if you will, like the, the most prized part uh, of the meat. And then the firstborn is like, you know, the firstborn is your, your heir, your... So, Clearly, Abel has brought the best of the best for God. Now, it doesn't stress anything about Cain's offering. It just says he brought some fruits from the soil as an offering. And it also says when uh, God does not look favorably on Cain's offering, God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? To me, that's, that's God suggesting to Cain you held something back from me, something that you should not have. So we know that Cain's offering was kind of haphazard compared to Abel's. And God even warns Cain, sin will be crouching at your door if you do not do what is right. God's telling Cain, you're going to fall if you're not careful. So right off the bat, God is, is upset with Cain Cain, is, it says his face is downcast, so he's clearly upset that his younger brother is getting all the attention, and after all, you know, he's the oldest. He's supposed to be, you know, the older brother, the guy that, that comes first. And God is is putting Abel and, and patting Abel on the back and 
Kane's like having a hard time with it. All right, moving forward, verse 10, or verse 8, rather, I'm sorry. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, I will no longer, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Pause right there. This is why we know that this story is symbolism, because Cain and Abel theoretically are the first two individuals born on the earth, but they already have a knowledge of shepherding and agriculture. So Cain is already tilling the ground and working the land, and Abel is taking care of sheep and goats and those types of things. Now, Cain kills Abel. We all know why, because he's resentful that he is getting God's blessing, and Cain feels like he's being left out, even though it's himself that's, that's holding him back. God even said that. Uh, earlier, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So anyway, it's jealousy. We're seeing the earliest signs of how dangerous jealousy can be. Envy, that's why they, they call them deadly sins, even though that's not biblical. But we're seeing not only the fall of man going back when Adam uh, took the apple and brought sin into the world. But now we're seeing how sin is starting to spread out. Um, We saw the desire for power and the desire for knowledge uh, in a disingenuous way take down Eve and Adam. Now we see where jealousy and anger can get you with Cain and Abel. So you're starting to get a trickle-down effect. But getting back to the, the symbolism part of this, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. How many people were on the earth at that time? Who was going to find Cain? Now that Abel was dead, biblically speaking, if you're following letter of the law, wouldn't there just be Adam, Eve, and Abel or in Cain and now Cain's it so who's going to find who's going to find Cain so it it has to be symbolism because there were obviously other people around because the Lord picks it back up verse 15 but the Lord said to Cain not so anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over and then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him So Cain went out from the Lord's presence, and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, if there were no other people around, 
who was going to kill Cain. And to take it even farther forward, verse 17, Cain made love to his wife. So Cain met a woman somewhere and married her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. Irad was the father of Mahujal. Sorry about some of these names. Mahujal was the father of Methusiel. Methusiel was the father of Lemek. So, so Cain found a wife, got married, and ended up having some descendants. Lemek married two women, one named Ada, one named Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel, and he was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Nama. So again, if we are taking the Bible literally, word for word, that would mean within four generations of people, there were stringed instruments, tools were being forged out of bronze and iron, uh, tents and livestock were, were being uh, built and livestock being raised. So again, this story has to be symbolism. Now, I'm not refuting the credibility of the story. That's not what the point is. The point that I'm trying to make is think, what is the message that we're being taught? That's what's most important. See, this is God's word. And like I had said in week one, don't try to make the Bible mean what it says. Let the Bible mean what it means. Whether Cain was the first person born on earth or he's representative of something larger doesn't really matter. It's it's the word of God nonetheless. So it's it's where you're placing your faith and what can we learn from the story. And to me, the most valuable thing that you learn from the story is when you go back to verse 13, when Cain says to God, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And what does God say? Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. So not only is God telling Cain, you are not in danger of physical harm for what you did, but if somebody tries to take vengeance on you for what you did, I will repay them seven times over. That means God is assuring Cain, listen, the, the message to get out of this set of scriptures here is, is that Cain is being punished and he is accountable to God for what he did, but he is still not forsaken by God. So when you get all the way back, and obviously that's something that was very pronounced during Jesus's ministry, but we're finding this all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. God is already setting the groundwork for you're going to, people are going to make mistakes. Sometimes people are going to do bad things and you are still not outside the reach of the Lord. That to me is the message, most importantly, of Cain and Abel is one, be 
beware of the, the snares that are set for you, that your own sin will set for you. And God's forgiving grace, even going back to Cain. So let's move forward. Jumping up to verse 25, we briefly come back to Adam and Eve again. And it says, Adam made love to his wife, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying that God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Eve has another son named Seth, but we do know, and I've actually heard people challenge whether or not it's actually Eve, because it says Adam made love to his wife again. It doesn't specifically say Eve, but she does say, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. So it, it's Eve. Let, let's be honest. It's another child in place of Abel. But what it does tell us is that Abel, Seth was born after Abel was killed. We don't near really know how old Cain and Abel were, but they were at least teenagers, I would think, if they're tilling the ground and, and all that stuff. So Eve was pretty far along when she had Seth. But what's important to pull out of this is the very last line of the chapter. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So that to me starts the the period that we're supposed to be uh, understanding that people are around, they have a, a an instinct that there's a divine being, God, that needs to be worshipped and followed, and in some cases, you know, he means business. Uh, a- Adam is still alive at this point, so instruction would be. Uh, cast out among the people. You know, there's a lot that we don't know. But again, it leaves me with the feeling that this story was definitely meant uh, as as symbolism for some of the things that we discussed. So that wraps up chapter four. So now chapter five is the written account of Adam's family line. And this is what some people have uh, a hard time grasping because, for example, uh, the first verse, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived a 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, then he died. So this is always a bone of contention. Like, can somebody really live 930 years? I, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff on the Internet that suggests that it's it's plausible. To me, it just serves uh, as a symbolism. The calendar that we know of now wasn't even invented until, like, probably 2,000 years later. So... You know, how are they keeping track of years? We just don't know. And again, when we get to things like this in the Word of God, it's not important whether Adam lived 930 years, 930 days, 930 seasons, months, whatever increments of time that God had intended. You have to remember that these things are being explained in human terms. People are not as smart as God. 
they do not understand all the ways of God, and they can't possibly describe things of God with the human limitations that we have. So when we come up against these things, like Adam being 930 years uh, old, we te- we just have to understand that that human limitation is trying to articulate what God was doing. Uh, and that's a very tall order. So they go through the lineage from Adam, and it goes all the way to Noah. But about seven or eight people down at verse 21, we get to Enoch. Enoch was the son of Jared, and he lived 65 years. He became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, the reason why Enoch is interesting is because everybody in the line before him and everybody in the line after him lived more than 750 years. And it says, and then he died after each one, except for Enoch. So that comes back into play when scholars analyze the book of Revelation, and there's supposed to be two witnesses that were never killed. And a lot of people suggest that it might be Elijah, because Elijah was taken away in a pillar of flame, and Enoch, because it never declares that Enoch actually died. So I do find it odd that he would be singled out amongst, I don't know, 10 or 12 people going from Adam to Noah. He's the only one where it says God took him away, not that he died. So I do find that interesting. What that specifically means, I am not qualified to to tell you. It's up to, up to you uh, what you think it means. So it basically takes the lineage down to Noah And verse 32, which is the last verse of our chapter 5, says, After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, And even though we're a little bit short today, this is where we are going to stop uh, because there's just so much around Noah's Ark. We may even have to take two episodes to do Noah's Ark. So we're going to wrap it up here for today. I'm going to ask you if you'll join me uh, in a little closing prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for once again for this time. I thank you for the message. I hope my words were a blessing to you, and I hope that my words will spark curiosity about you uh, in the ears of the listeners. Father, I ask you to be patient with me and patient both with the audience as well. Uh, as as we listen to the message, I welcome criticism. I welcome comments. Father, I only want to do your will and deliver your message. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so that's all I got for you this week. Next week we are going to uh, embark, no pun intended, uh, into Noah's Ark. Uh, like I said, a lot to get to. It should be a lot of fun. We're going to have probably some humor going on there because there's all kinds of uh, 
craziness that centered around that arc. And a lot of things uh, that happened uh, during the flood that a lot of people don't realize. So we look forward to that. Uh, also, don't be afraid. Head over to my YouTube channel, The Average Joe and JMO Show, and see the antics uh, of my son and I as we check out concerts. We do a little cooking. We do a little fishing. A lot of wholesome father-son uh, activities going on there. So, again, that's The Average Joe and JMO Show. I want to thank you for tuning in, and I want to take a moment, too, if you have been with me from the beginning uh, you're the only reason why I'm still on, so I appreciate the the love and the comments. Please uh, like and subscribe, all of that mumbo-jumbo, and we will see you next week on The Ark. As always, I thank you for stopping by to give me a listen. If you like what you heard and you want to help out, give the podcast a review and click as many stars as you feel appropriate. This helps get the word out and helps other people find the podcast. If you'd like more information about me, you can find that at corby.com, spelled C-O-R-B-I-E-Y.com. And if you have questions or comments about the podcast, you could send those to hcpodcast at corby.com. And that's the episode for this week. Remember to be kind to one another, help one another, and check in with friends and family often and let them know their worth. It can make a difference. If you're the one hurting, do not hesitate to dial 988. I hope everyone has a blessed week. And remember, human conservation can only come about through human conversation.